Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We appreciate you very much, and we've got a packed show today. We're going to be talking about the Old Testament and uh, in a nutshell, but I'll get to that in a minute. Let's open in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for a new day that you've made. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord. We recognize that your mercies are new every morning, and great you, you are sovereign over all things. Um, when we are going through tough times, we know that you are with us. When we're going through good times, we know that you are with us. Lord, sometimes we forget about you when things are going well. Father, give us a balanced perspective, just one day at a time. And when those hard times hit, help us sense your presence and know that you're there. Thank you for that reassurance that your word provides, and thank you for your promises throughout Scripture to us who believe. We love you. We thank you for calling us and choosing us to serve you and to bear fruit that will last. We ask that you'd guide this conversation today, encourage those that need encouragement today, challenge others who need to be challenged. And Lord, uh, just help us to live for you with all of our hearts and seek your kingdom first in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember, friends, uh, we have a lot of products available at redpillprints.com. They've been a blessing to us by, this is a Christian family in Canada that put up their website and on a page on their website. If you go to standupforthetruth.com and look at the top, it should say merch. That's one of the navigation buttons on the menu there. It says merch. That'll take you right to their site, Red Pill Prince. And they just added a new hoodie that says truth over fear, which is really cool design. Thank you, Crash. And, um, uh, they've got a T-shirt there with kid sizes that they added a week or so ago uh, on one of the T-shirts that was designed by their 11- or 12-year-old son, Isaac. And uh, w- there's just T-shirts, hats, water, uh, water bottles, and coffee mugs, and um, all kinds of different things you can look at. Everything supports this ministry. Anything that you purchase there, they're not making money from this. They're just covering their expenses and sending the rest to us, Stand Up For The Truth. So uh, go check out the merch, and if you can, uh, get a couple things. So thanks, guys, so very much of, for your support in that way, indirect support. Um, Jay Siegert is our guest today. Can't wait to dive into the topic. Of course, many of you know him as the uh, author, international speaker, managing director of the Starting Point Project, and their goal is to help people understand and defend the biblical worldview. He's got a brand new book out, and I've been going over it this past weekend. It's called Creation to Christ, the Old Testament in a Nutshell. Jay Seeger, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. You know, it's a great honor to be on the program. How are you this morning? Oh, doing very well, Jay. And uh, thank you for putting a hazelnut on the cover. I love hazelnut. <laughs> but did you look closer at that nut? It's oh, wait got a, a cross on it. It's got a cross. Oh, my goodness, yes. There's a yes. cross on there. Ooh, my so- art, my cover designer put that in there. I thought, that's pretty cool. Most people aren't going to notice it. Oh, subliminal messages. Hey, so, yeah. <laughs> so Jay, before we dive in, and there's so much to talk about, that's why I just want to make this quick, but I want to get an update on your ministry. Um, first of all, you've been speaking, and you were just in Wisconsin. Of course, you live in the Milwaukee area, and you were just speaking at a couple different uh, events in the last week or two. Tell us about it. That was at uh, first Friday night, Saturday at Living Waters Bible Camp, a great place, highly recommended. There's a lot of great Christian camps around. This one uh, in particular does a great job with really mentoring youth and making a huge difference in their lives. Uh, Dennis Seiler is running that camp, uh, Living Waters Bible Camp, just south of La Crosse in Westby. So we did a, a conference there with a couple other speakers, um, Eric Hovind mm, yeah. um, from Creation Today, and then Tim Chafee, which we may talk about briefly if we if we get into the nephilim topic yes <laughs> uh he's an author of a book they're a great guy so we spent time together there at the camp and then uh since it was on the way home uh deforest evangelical free church said we know this is last minute but there's any way you're available to speak and i didn't think it would work and then i looked at the map and like yeah, i gotta drive right by there <laughs> um so i spoke there yesterday morning for their church service and then combined sunday school class and went very well wow that's awesome so we're glad you're getting out there you're such a blessing 
uh, in your presentation and in your knowledge and application of Scripture. Uh, I'm just, you had me at that camp, man. The power team, Siegert, Hovind, and Chafee. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I want to read the back of your book. A pastor named Charlie Martin writes, um, everyone needs to read the information in this book. As a pastor for many years, I've never heard anyone as effective in presenting the Old Testament as Jay Siegert. He is the best at answering the questions of both skeptics and honest inquirers with grace and wisdom. I highly recommend him and his awesome this awesome book. And of course, friends, you can pick it up. It is brand new. It's called Creation to Christ, and it is available at thestartingpointproject.com. I know, Jay, that's the best place to get it. That's your website. It is avail- Is it available anywhere else, or is that where people need to go? Um, eventually, it'll probably be available on Amazon and maybe a few other places, and eventually we'll have an audio version of it as well. But right now, since we just released it a few weeks ago, it's uh, the only place right now is on our website, thestartingpointproject.com. Okay. There, there is, gosh, almost 350 pages. And uh, friends, I'm just going to say right now, it's amazing. It's only $12, which uh, Jay just wants to get the book out there. So God bless you that for that, brother. It's, it's great information. So I want to just go through some of the, uh, the table of contents. I mean, just think about the Old Testament, and this is extensive. I, there's so much, everything from uh, the timeline, uh, creation, the fall, the solution. I'm skipping around here, Tower of Babel, uh, the Age of the Patriarchs, the Call of Abraham. Let's skip down to the 12 tribes of Israel, um, uh, the Ten Plagues, the Ten Commandments, the Wilderness Wandering, the Period of Kings, and the Division of the Kingdom. Uh, you go into the prophets, major and minor, and then the 400 years of silence, and then you review. And not only that, Jay, I don't know how many pages you have of uh, appendices. Did I say that right? 150, yeah, 150. So the the covering the Old Testament timeline, I tried to keep it brief. So the first portion of the book is the timeline. I describe everything very briefly, but mm-hmm. then there's 150 pages of appendices if you want more information about all those nagging-type questions, which we'll be covering <laughs> some of which today. Yeah, sounds good. Now, obviously, you start off saying unquestionably the most important element in the entire Bible is Jesus. But Really, it's, in, it's good for Christians to know the Old Testament because all of Scripture points to the Messiah. It points to Jesus, and it's, it's, it's um, the, the story of redemption, really, if you could sum up the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, Jay, would you say that in a different way? Um, well, I mean, it's very, very accurate. And just one quick uh, example of uh, interaction I had, there was a, a large church out east and they ended up bringing me out there just to speak to the youth because the pastor, for whatever reason, didn't want me speaking to the congregation, which is a whole other story <laughs> that I, I run into too often. It's okay to tell the youth whatever you want, but yeah, we don't really want to talk to the, the parents about any of these things, and, and, you know, Genesis included. That's amazing. So I went out there, gave the talk, and the, the couple that brought me out there, after I spoke to the youth, they were more fired up than ever. They went through the church to find a pastor. They found they found him and they said, Pastor, this message, you know, about Genesis and the beginning and all that is so foundational. The whole church needs to hear this, not just the youth. And he he said to them, wait a minute, you got to be careful trying to tie the New Testament into the Old Testament. Wait a minute. And this was not a this was not a liberal church. This was a very evangelical fundamental church. Was this a pastor that said this? The senior pastor at oh a large goodness. evangelical church. Oh, my goodness. And I, I wasn't there. I, I wish I was there. I would have had a lot of questions for him. Nothing in the New Testament makes any sense without the backdrop of the Old Testament. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. Well, there are men, you know, uh, people, you know, pastors such as Andy Stanley, who has said some very just disturbing and really almost apostate things, uh, saying that we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. This, These are— these are dangerous things when you talk about dividing the Word of God or saying one part is more important than the other. Um, but, Jay, I like the way you suggest in your themes here. We just celebrated Resurrection Sunday a week ago, um, and Luke twenty four twenty seven. you said— uh, this is talking about the experience that uh, the men, Cleopas, and one other disciple on the road to Emmaus had when they met up with Jesus. It's just a, a great verse here that you include in these notes. It says, then beginning with Moses 
And with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. That is such an important sentence and scripture in the Bible, Luke 24, 27. It is, and when you think about it, it says in all the scriptures. Well, what what were these scriptures he's talking about? It wasn't the New Testament. It was the Old Testament. So he went through the Old Testament and then built this case, starting with Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, which uh, every major doctrine we believe as Christians is founded in the book of Genesis. So you got the first five books written by Moses, and then you got the prophets, and uh, later in Luke, uh, Jesus divides it up between the law of Moses, the prophet, and the Psalms. So he's talking about the entire Old Testament, and he, Jesus himself used that to explain the big picture to people. And today we, we talk about Jesus a lot, but then we only occasionally just bring out some old, you know, individual Old Testament stories that are kind of interesting. But most Christians don't know the big picture. They don't know if Moses and Abraham were next door neighbors, they don't know if they worked at Wendy's together. There's just <laughs> stuff happens. It's kind of kind of confusing. And then we get to Jesus and like, okay, I can relate to that. Now I'm okay. But we we typically write off the Old Testament and not really spend a whole lot of time in it. So important. That's such an important point that he 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 opens up. Actually, you provided another verse here a little bit further in that chapter in Luke 24, 44 and forty five. He, he's trying to get through to them. And these are men that he taught for three years, who lived with him, ate with him, and heard his teaching. And Jesus said, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And then Jay, talk about this briefly. He said, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Now, this was before the Holy Spirit came on the scene, but talk about that a little bit. Well, obviously you can hear truth without having it really registered. Again, these guys were hanging around with Jesus that whole time, and they, mm -hmm. it, for whatever reason, various reasons, it really didn't click. So Jesus is like, let me tell it to you again, and let me explain <laughs> this, and I'm going to, in a sense, supernaturally open up your understanding, and you'll really get it. And these guys did get it, and they, they turned the world upside down in a good way. Now it's upside down in the wrong way. Mm. But um, Jesus did that. And now Jesus said, if I live, I give you a, another comforter. And it's cool that the Greek word there is another of the same kind, just like Jesus was. But Jesus was only one spot at one time. Mm. The Holy Spirit could be with everyone, each individual Christian. So now we have that same spirit helping us understand God's word as we are dedicated to understanding it. And rather than just flipping open the Bible and Random, randomly reading a verse, which too many of us have done too often, when we really say, okay, God, I, I want to understand this. Help me. God says, I can work with that, and he will help us understand. And that happened to me with the Old Testament. It used to be just this antiquated, outdated, strange stuff in there. But when I really understood the big picture, everything made sense, and I got more and more excited about looking into it, and it helped me in defending God's Word and defending the Christian worldview when you know the big picture from the beginning, leading all the way up to Jesus, and then Jesus on to his eventual return. Okay, Jay Seeger, let's go to the creation account, and just briefly share whatever you want. I know there's a lot of information in your book, but that is one of the things that even Christians will debate about, and yet it's so important for us to understand the first, I mean, Genesis 1, but also the first 11 chapters are so important for Bible-believing Christians to understand about Scripture. So what uh, can you tell us about the just the debates and the, the, the what we really need to understand about creation? Sure, I will perform a miracle right now and be very brief because <laughs> this is one of the things I focus on a lot. Yep. So to just say a few key things is, Number one, we need to really make it a priority to understand what is actually written there. It, it's written in historical Hebrew narrative. It's saying this actually happens, not poetry. It says this actually happened, and for the vast majority of history, especially those who were Hebrew scholars, it was as clear as day to them. Mm -hmm. God created everything. He created it supernaturally. He created it in six literal solar days. And when you look at the genealogies and everything in the Bible, it doesn't push you back too far. It goes back thousands of years, not millions or billions. It wasn't until basically just before Darwin's time when they 
people started to make attempts to look at it differently because secular experts and some scientists had different ideas. So many Christians said, well, if they're telling us these things about the Big Bang or whatever it is, we need to go back in Scripture and look at it differently because now we know better. Now we have these smart guys and, and we can figure out what God really meant. And so now we have a lot of different ideas about billions of years and the Big Bang and even the idea of evolution, and it's caused a lot of even leading Christians to uh, have compromised view. Even William Lane Craig, he's one of the leading mm. Christian apologists, brilliant, brilliant guy. Yeah. He does a great job when he's debating atheists. <laughs> but he even said to think that the layers in the earth were laid down by this Noah's flood is complete myth. Wow. He totally rejects the Genesis flood, not because of what Scripture says, but because He's convinced that the secular geologists don't believe in a flood, so then he himself doesn't believe in it. So then he goes to Scripture and says, well, it must not mean what it says. It's got to mean something else. Well, let me remind our listeners, and, and by the way, Jay, we, we are so blessed in the last couple of years, particularly recently. We've we've been getting people you know, finding the podcast from all over the place, across the country, and and, and different countries, and that's no, we don't do any advertising, and we, it's not because of us. I believe you know God is, is helping people find us and— and people that listen share the podcast. So we've got a lot of new listeners that maybe haven't heard you before. Uh, Jay Seegert has, has degrees in physics and engineering technology. He's been speaking on these topics for 37 years, particularly creation. What you just said, how is it, Jay, that someone like a William Lane Craig or others can, can interpret differently something so pivotal in the earliest part of the Scriptures? Well, I think... It- there are different factors for different people, but the, one of the largest factors that I've seen in the 37 years now is it has nothing to do with their intelligence. They're mm. plenty yeah. smart. <laughs> Sometimes that gets in the way. Mm. Um, but what I've seen, is, I think it's in John chapter 12, where it says that many others also believed in Jesus, but they wouldn't profess it for fear of getting kicked out of the synagogue mm. um, they, because they feared man more than they feared God. That's right. And I think many of these Christian leaders, they're more interested. It's not about a fear factor so much. They're more interested in getting the uh, the praise and admiration of the academic community around them, the, the elites, um, pleasing them rather than saying, God, this is what your word says. And even if everyone disagrees with me, they make fun of me, they ostracize me, I'm going to stick with what you said. It's so easy for these these ex Christian experts to say, you know what, if I agree with the Big Bang and agree with evolution, I've got the admiration of the academic community. They might think I go too far with the Jesus thing, but they'll still say, You're one of us, you believe in our science, you you're trusting us. And so they get less pushback doing that than if they say, Hey, the Bible says God created everything and it says six days. The Hebrew talks about six solar days here. That's what I believe, even if a lot of the scientists have a different opinion, because these secular scientists weren't there in the beginning. They don't know everything. They didn't see it happen. They get things wrong once in a while, and once in a while they lie about things. That versus God, who was there in the beginning, knows everything and does not lie. And by the way, I want to remind people, Jay offers um, Grand Canyon tours and trips. Uh, Do you have a couple scheduled for this summer, Jay? Uh, Five. Five? (laughs) Is that a record for you guys? It is. Uh, normally I do two, sometimes three, but we're just getting so much interest. And wow. it's not because the Grand Canyon is so cool, which it is. <laughs> it's because when people go, they will have their faith in God's word strengthen tenfold or a hundredfold because the Grand Canyon is the best spot on the planet to see evidence for the worldwide flood that Genesis 6 through 8 tells us about. And many Christians, they're, they're kind of hoping the skeptic doesn't bring up the whole flood thing and all those animals on that cute little boat or whatever because they're embarrassed about it. They don't know how to defend it. It sounds silly. But when you go on one of our Grand Canyon trips, you will see firsthand so much scientific evidence that that canyon absolutely had to be carved out by a catastrophic global event and we talk about the layers we point them out they can see for themselves they don't have to trust some um nebulous scientific stuff that we say that they don't even understand they will see these simple principles we pointed out we spend one day on the rim kaibab limestone looking one mile down to the colorado river and the next day we're actually on that river 
on a raft going around the famous Horseshoe Bend. It's a family-friendly trip. It's a very safe trip. Five years old on up, we had a couple go. They were 80 years old. It's not whitewater rafting. You don't you don't get wet. You're just literally floating down the river there, and you're not climbing up rocks or anything. You're walking on a flat paved path. So when people go, they get so fired up that, wow, I can really, really, really wow. trust the Bible and everything it says, and there's a lot of science to support it. Jay, is there room on these trips? Is there room for other They've people? They've all... They've all filled up this year, but we if we have some cancellations, they could maybe jump in on but we could schedule something for next year, definitely. Okay, my goodness, five trips. Busy guy, Jay Secrets, our guest. The brand-new book is called Creation to Christ, the Old Testament in a nutshell. When we come back, we'll talk about the period of Judges, the cycles of failure, the Tower of Babel, and Genesis 11. More on Standard for the Truth in just a minute. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Jay Seeger is our guest today, TheStartingPointProject.com. The book is called Creation to Christ, the Old Testament in a Nutshell, almost 350 pages. And right now, brand new, hot off the presses, it is just $12. That's amazing, guys. I encourage you to get several of these books and bless your pastor with one of these books. Get one for yourself, and maybe you can have a Bible study group. might take you a while to get through the whole book. But, uh, Jay, before we get to Genesis 11, and I've got a brand new article of something that's very fascinating to me, um, let's go to page 152 in the book, and there's a very fascinating, you talk about the period of the judges and um, the estimated time frame, and I love how you just laid out, this is the cycle in that 300-year period. Four things, backsliding, discipline, repentance, and deliverance. Isn't that the cycle of most of the Old Testament once the Jews started wandering? It, it is, and uh my studying has shown that they went through 17 of these cycles. I think only seven are actually detailed, but I think there are about 17 total cycles. And when I give presentations on this, I say, can you imagine doing that? And then I say, I'm glad my number's not up there because it might not fit in the, in the circle <laughs> of the cycle. Um, but we all, we all do that. We yes. you know, mess up and then we say, okay, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it. If you help me out, I'll never, ever do it again. And then we get helped out and then we do it again and we go round and round. But this, this period, so... The Israelites, they had been in slavery for hundreds of years. Moses leads them out. They wander in the wilderness because their GPS was broken. <laughs> um, and they had, they had disobeyed God. They, you know, they didn't trust God that they could move into the promised land. So that's what God, why God made them wander. So anyway, they get into the promised land and they were being ruled ultimately by God. But he was using various judges to organize them while they were in the promised land. And... They, you know, eventually end up whining and they want a king like everyone else. But during that period where the, the judges are immediately kind of ruling over them, you know, the, it ends, the book of Judges ends with saying, in, in those days there was no king in Israel and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And that's what we see. So yes. they've just gone through, the, you know, that all that slavery and then God miraculously delivers them through the the 10 plagues and parting the Red Sea and all these things. And then they come into the promised land and instantly they're, they're disobeying God right away. Yep. So they go through those cycles, they backslide and God allows them to be judged, usually bringing in another nation or an army to come in to attack them. And then God raises up judges or other military leaders to kind of rescue them. And then they repent, you know, okay, thank you so much. But then they backslide again. So probably 17 times they're wow. going through that in the period that's known as the period of the judges. So that is horrific when you think of it. But we can relate. Um, very interesting, Jay. Kind of, well, not really off topic. In, I wrote a chapter in my book, um, Canceling Christianity, called It Just Takes a Generation. And at the beginning of, gen, of uh, Judges, Joshua dies. By the way, we're going to get to the age of, of people. He died at 110 years old. And that was possibly uh, considered young at that time. Uh, but we'll talk about that. And the sentence immediately after that they say he died and they buried him in this certain territory in the hill country of Ephraim, one of the saddest and most sobering verses in all of Scripture, and the one that you referenced at the very end of Judges where moral relativism on steroids, everyone did what was right in his own eyes, 
Um, Judges 2 verse 10 says, All that generation also were gathered to their fathers. So all the elders that, that, that um, were godly men that were pursuing, you know, they were obeying Joshua and God, they died. And then it says, And another generation rose up after them who did not know the Lord, nor even the work which he had done for Israel. Uh, Jay, that's a huge eye-opening scripture. Even the people that had godly leaders in the presence of God, right, they knew uh, firsthand, and yet they fell away. And I think it's important that they didn't, they must not have taught their children because it was the generation immediately after them that didn't know the Lord. And then the progression was they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Your thoughts? Well, it's a solemn warning for us. It doesn't yeah. take a long time for things to go south. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, it's interesting with the typical, I shouldn't say typical, quite a few Christian adults are in a position where they're not as mature in their faith as they should be. Well, if you consider that, where do we expect their children to be? We don't expect their children to be at a higher level it's probably going to be at an even lower level because whatever level the parents have, they're only going to be able to convey some of that to the children. And then it, I call it Christian entropy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in genetics, there's a term that Dr. John Sanford from Cornell used, for uh, he phrased, called genetic entropy. It's our genome going downhill. It's degrading over time and it can't be stopped. Well, I see Christian entropy happening with each generation is a little less a better position than the parents were. It's going downhill, and it does not take long for one generation to mm-hmm. kind of just decide they're going to do their own thing because they didn't really see it modeled, mm-hmm. you know, through their parents. Say, yeah, their parents went to church. It was a yeah, church is so important. You got you can't be late, you know. And there's tension in the car, and then they get to church, and they're all smiles. But then as soon as you leave from that time, leaving church till the next Sunday morning in many Christian homes, there's nothing to do with Christianity. Mm. There's no Bible study, no praying. Everybody's busy. But the next Sunday, oh, it's so important to be at church on time. And so we're, we're going downhill in that sense, and the church is being weakened. And so, yeah, the Israelites, they, you know, they had a pretty good example going into the promised land, but then didn't take long at all. They were they were erecting, you know, monuments to false gods. It's <laughs> like, do you not remember everything you just went through? <laughs> even, even going through the flood, God judges the whole earth. They come through a flood, and then they start disobeying God immediately after that, where they were supposed to spread out, and they don't. So it doesn't take long for things to, to go the wrong direction. Yeah, we're going to get to that, by the way, and talk about the Tower of Babel. But uh, just think about America and how we were founded and the history of our country and the Constitution and the men, many of them, men of God and readers of the Bible and believers in Jesus, you know, many of them helped with these founding documents that we had to start off, start us off in the right direction, on the right foot. And look at us now today. Look at every major institution in America and you go, wow, it, 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 it didn't take long, as you said. But let's go back to uh, Joshua lived to 110 years old. You have a chapter on the age of the patriarchs. And so why is it, Jay, can you, uh, I'm sure you talk about that in this chapter, how the the age of people has gotten less and less. And I think Psalms and Proverbs talks about the average age, 70 or 80. But at one point, people were living 125 years old and and more. Could you explain that briefly? Sure. The the short version is, you know, the Old Testament, Adam was 930 years old when he died, and Noah was 950, Methuselah 969 years. They were living to be 900 plus years, Mm -hmm. and that was very, very, very common up until the time of the flood. So you got Noah at 950 years. Um, Noah actually lived another 300 plus years after the flood, but then all of a sudden we see the ages start to drop off, and God says basically... I'm going to limit your ages. Look how much trouble you get into when you're living that long. He's not anymore. I'm going to limit those ages. So something happened after the time of the flood, and it wasn't just that the atmosphere was different after the flood, because if that was the case, Noah and his sons would have died shortly after the flood, but they lived hundreds of years after that. So it wasn't just an atmospheric change. I'm sure Mm -hmm. that had some factors, but it must have been more of a genetic thing. And Scientists don't fully comprehend aging other than we know in our genes, we've got sections of them called chromosomes. And on the ends of these chromosomes, there's these little hairs that are called um, telomeres. And these things get chopped off. Every time a 
a cell copies itself, they get chopped off. They're a little bit shorter. It can uh, Each individual cell can only copy itself so many times, and then it's done, and that limits our lifespan. So very easily before the flood, God could have had it set up where the genetics were different, longer telomeres or however he did it, but that easily allowed them. They could have lived even longer had it been you know, set up differently, but they were living to be 900 plus years. It's stated in scripture as historical facts. You can't say, well, maybe the years were actually months or days. It doesn't work. They were actual years. And this is to me the most interesting thing. You plot those ages, so it's pretty flat line in 900 years, and then after the flood, it starts to drop off. And if you plot those ages that are mentioned, you have this curve. It's a decay curve, hmm. and that decay curve actually matches very well the decay in our genome that we're seeing today. So you either have to believe that when Moses was writing those first five books— he was making up ages so that in the, well in the future when we had science, it would match a genetic decay curve. Or you have to believe Moses just wrote the ages of people as he saw them in his gut, you know, inspired him to write. Mm. And that makes more sense. He wouldn't know about genetics or try to force anything. He's just recording the ages. And today we see it matches a genetic decay curve that something significant happened at the time of the flood and it has been decaying genetically as we've been verifying with modern science today. It's, it fits the curve fantastically. Mm -hmm. I won't go into the, all the technical details, but it's just amazing. It's like, oh my word, this, this is true. And we can actually verify it through genetics today that we would expect it to be dropping off. And now we're more around, you know, 70, 80, 90 years. Right. So Jay, the, the next logical question would be, it, it dropped off and dropped off and dropped off from 900 some years. Joshua's time, 110 years old, he died. Uh, there are people that live today to 110, but very rarely, and they always make the news, right? They're having a 110th yes. birthday. Betty White almost lived to, to be 100. But the average age is probably around 80, and it's been like that for quite some time. Why has it not continually regressed to even younger? Like, why aren't people dying at, at 40? Why did it stop at around you know 80 years old or so? Yeah. Well, when you it, it has to do with mathematics and the decay curve, you're going to see a greater change earlier on in the curve okay. versus the right side of the curve where it starts to level off more. So it is going down, but we've also seen because of modern medicine, That's right. we've been able to extend it somewhat from maybe avoiding certain diseases or curing certain diseases. So we've been able to, to do that a little bit. Um, but overall, we still are going down genetically. Every time we reproduce, we're adding about another hundred mistakes to our DNA, and it can't be stopped. It caused one Russian scientist to say, how come we haven't died a hundred times over? Yeah. Now, he, he's an evolutionist. If we've been evolving for six million years and we keep adding mistakes to our DNA, we shouldn't <laughs> be able to function anymore. We shouldn't be alive. But if God created us thousands of years ago, we could withstand a certain amount of okay. what we call genetic load, these, these mistakes, and, and everything matches up to the biblical creation account. I won't go into it now, but there's genetic evidence that we all have come from one male mm -hmm. and one female. There's more genetic evidence that not too long ago, almost everybody on the planet died and we restarted populating the earth. We can tell that from genetics and we can tell that even through the animals, that the animals were basically wiped out except for a small group that also started to repopulate the earth the same time mankind did. That is fascinating, Jay. And, and I'm sure you have that in some of the appendices of your book, correct? Yes, okay. definitely, definitely. The book is called Creation to Christ, and let's jump to this real quick. We've got five minutes left in this segment. This is perfect because let's talk about the Tower of Babel. There's a brand new article out. Actually, this news was announced a year ago. Uh, this says, move over, Nimrod. Amazon gets the green light for its Tower of Babel headquarters. Let me explain this, and Jay, I'll let you talk about Genesis. One of the most important chapters, I think, one of them in the Old Testament, because it talks about this. Well, today we're seeing this globalist push all over again. It's like, well, it, nothing is new under the sun. Look at Genesis 11. But the article says Amazon's plans to build a helix-shaped Tower of Babel as the centerpiece for its forthcoming second headquarters in northern Virginia. Uh, they've been given the green light. It stands out because of its resemblance to the Old Testament's Tower of Babel. Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon and the awful liberal progressive Marxist Washington Post, my words, may have a fancy for the biblical character of Nimrod, a mighty hunter, Genesis 10.9. It says Amazon states the building is designed to help people connect to nature. 
And you can see this. It's amazing. It's, it's similar to that uh, design we always see in the caricature of the Tower of Babel. So, Jay, your thoughts on this, what's fascinating that man is trying to get back to this, right, building these towers, um, and how that connects to Genesis 11. Well, there are a number of parallelisms. Parallelisms. Uh, one other really tightly knit, I think, is uh, at the time of the flood, there was a lot going on there, and every thought of every man was only evil continually, and it got so bad that God says, "Okay, now I'm going to I'm going to judge the earth." Jesus was talking about his own return. They were they were asking him, well, "When are you coming back?" And he said, "As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the time of the coming of the Son of Man." So Jesus was saying. The way that it was back in the flood, that's how it's going to be just you know, at the time of his return. Well, I won't go into the great depth here, but what's interesting is there were a lot of strange things happening. We won't jump into it right now. We may not have time for it, but sometime read Genesis chapter 6, the first few verses. It talks about the sons of God and the daughters of men and the Nephilim. Uh, there was a hybridization going on, messing with mankind's genetics, in a sense, at mm. the time of the flood. I think that was one of the reasons for the flood. Well, today we have transhumanism yep. trying to meld human genetics with modern technology, and, and now this with the Tower of Babel trying to reconstruct that, which was man's effort to go up to the heavens to ignore God. Part of the reason for the Tower of Babel was, you know, what if another flood comes? Well, if we bring a tall enough tower, maybe we could be... You have find safety in it or whatever. So they were just defying God right after God had just judged the whole earth. Immediately <laughs> they defy him. We're not spreading out. We're going to stay here. We're going to build this tower to the heavens, the false gods. So, and now tying in with Jeff Bezos and all that, it, it makes sense. We're yep. seeing these things played out just like Jesus said. Yeah, it's amazing. It's rebellion, isn't it? Because it's almost like a thumbing your nose at God saying, I'm going to build this tower. Tell us, I mean, we just have a minute left, um, just a, a brief overview of Nimrod. Well, it, with the Tower of Babel, I mean, really the short version is they, they come off the ark, and God says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. The rest of the earth was empty. No other people, no other animals. God said, spread out, fill the earth. The animals start to do that, but people disobeyed immediately. They stayed right there, and part of this was this effort to build this tower in defiance of God immediately, and we know that God eventually said, oh, I, I can't let you do that, and that's where he confounds their language, so they were unable to communicate with each other. They couldn't finish the tower, and that forced their spreading out, which led to all the various people groups that we have today. That's the, the very short version of that. Thank you, Jay. Uh, Jay Siegert's our guest today. The book, brand new, is called Creation to Christ, the Old Testament in a Nutshell. You can get it at his website, thestartingpointproject.com. You know, God forced the dispersion of people by necessity, and that's where we get the languages that we have today. So much more is involved in that. But when we come back, we're going to jump around and talk about the flood and the Ice Age connection. Also, strange dietary practices and more on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. No, Jay Siegert is not crazy, but the book is only $12. You can get it on his website, 350 pages almost. I would really recommend you getting one for yourself and one for your pastor or your elders at your church they, there's a lot of information in here I'm guessing they might not be up to speed on, but at least get one for you and your pastor, uh, thestartingpointproject.com. And again, the book is called Creation to Christ. Jay Seeger, let's finish up that topic. We were talking about the Tower of Babel and all that happened there, and God was the one that dispersed the people. He forced them and confused the languages. What about race? Sure. That, uh, I mean, obviously today racism is a huge topic and critical race theory and all those things. Yeah. Um, but the, it, the short version is, okay, there aren't races. There's one race, the human race, Book of Acts we're all of one blood. And genetically, that's what we've determined <laughs> that often when someone needs a blood transfusion, a black person might be the, a better match than another white person or something. It's just, so the genetics scream that we're all one race, we're all very closely related but we talk about races, and we primarily think of two things. We think of skin color and shapes of eyes. Skin color is driven by how much melanin you have. Some people's DNA produces more melanin, makes their skin a little darker. Some, like me, don't produce enough. I'm a more pale color, and I'd like to have a little bit more. But it's just, it's just varying amounts of melanin. Mm -hmm. And also the shapes of eyes, 
the more closed almond-shaped eye just has an extra layer of fat that's a little bit larger, closes the eye a little bit more. But the Tower of Babel takes this generic group of people now that come off the ark and they're multiplying, and the Tower of Babel where God forces them to split up and to fill the earth, which is what he wanted, mm -hmm. because of the language differences now, they, they can't communicate anymore. They can't finish the tower, so they're forced to kind of move out. As they move out, they're settling in different places, and the short version, if myself and my family had to happen to have gone further south from there towards the equator, just by coincidence, we'd probably get there, and after a while think, it's too hot here. I'm getting sunburned. We're getting skin cancer. This is not healthy for us. Let's move north. So we go further north towards where today Germany, Norway, Sweden are, it's not as warm, but the sunlight isn't as direct, so we, we can tolerate that better. And as we intermarry, our kids come out with light skin because our DNA only makes a little bit of melanin. The same time that we went south and then north, another group that maybe had more melanin, they went north first, and they're like, it's really cold up here. <laughs> We're not getting enough sunlight, which causes vitamin D deficiency and rickets and arthritis. So they just kind of migrate further south towards the equator, nice and warm. Their skin can handle the sun because it's darker. The sun didn't make it darker, didn't create more melanin in them. It's just that because they had more, they could tolerate it more. It's nice and warm. So when they settle there and intermarry, their kids are coming out with dark skin. So you start to have these buildup of these people, groups with different physical traits that we make a big deal out of today. So that's partially what's behind these, these groups. I think you can make a good case, too, that for the genetics of people all over the planet, you could put them into three major categories, which is interesting because you got three couples coming off the ark that are going to repopulate the earth, three sons and three wives, and that disperses into three major groups as well. Uh, so there's a lot behind that of how we got these different people groups across uh, the continents today. Thank you, Jay. I interviewed uh, Charles Ware uh, several, a couple times, uh, several years ago, and Ken Ham, of course, they wrote a book called One Race, One Blood. Very important, a biblical answer to racism. So what you're hearing today, friends, in the news and in the public, in the university system, which has crept down into the public schools, and unfortunately, some of these ideas about being an anti-racist and all that, they've crept into the church uh, for maybe good intentions, but they are not biblically based, nor are they scientifically based, because they're not following the science, as Jay Siegert just explained. You might want to just rewind this portion of the podcast and listen to Jay's response in the last couple minutes. But we've got to move on. We've got 10 minutes left. Jay, uh, what, where would you like to go next? The um, How about all the extreme violence in the Old Testament? People always say, well, how can God be a loving God if he allowed this? Knowing, you know, the heart of man is evil and beyond cure is what the Bible teaches. And of course, we see that played out throughout the Old Testament. So how do you answer that? Or how do you explain it? Well, there's a couple different angles. One is the Bible is simply reporting things that happen. And the Bible says because of mankind's sin, it leads to all sorts of atrocities. And so the Bible is honestly and accurately reporting what was going on. That's that's a big part of it. But there are times where God gave commands for certain things to happen. And that's what people cringe a little bit more. Christians saying, I don't, you know, how do I explain that away? I'm kind of embarrassed. I what do we do with that where God tells the Israelites to go into a certain area and wipe men, women, and children out? And that sounds just like unfathomable. I don't want to worship a God like that. But you got to know the context. And this is, this is really the answer to this violence thing. It's in a very specific context. And the, the examples that people are thinking about when God says go into this land and take it and wipe them out, this is when they've come out of slavery in Egypt. They were in the wilderness. They entered into the promised land. This is a, the land God had promised to them hundreds of years earlier. And so when the Israelites were as slaves in Egypt, they were, in a sense, a random people, the descendants of Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob become the 12 tribes of Israel. So they were, they were people, but they weren't a nation. But while they were in slavery, God was building them as a nation that he was going to use, and through them, his son, the Messiah, would come. So he's allowing this persecution of them to bond them. And when you undergo persecution, you bond with others who are also being persecuted. So he's, during those hundreds of years, he's developing his people as an actual nation. Hmm. At the same time, the promised land was not empty. Just wait for them to show up. There were other people living there, the Philistines and, and many other people. Horrid, horrid 
practices that they had, mm. awful, evil people, and God was being patient with them and patient and patient for them to change, and they did not change. So at some point in time, God says, okay, time is up. I am going to judge your pagan practices where you're offering your children uh, in the fire, throwing them in the fire, the Ra, the sun god, and all these things. God says, okay, you've, you've had your chance. Hmm. It's time for your judgment. And the way God chose to judge them was to bring his own people out of slavery bring them into this land and use them as his tool of judgment. So he didn't willy-nilly just say, yeah, just wipe these people out, take their land. No, it was the timing thing. So he brought them in. And one of the reasons they were supposed to wipe them all out is if they didn't, God knew if you spared some of them, you're going to start intermarrying them mm-hmm. and taking on their pagan practices. And we know Which that's they did. what happened very yes. often. <laughs> they did. And God says, you know what? You didn't listen. Here are more consequences. So that's a, a big part of that violence that was going on. It was God's judgment. If God didn't judge those pagans, then we'd say, oh, how can God just allow that? <laughs> so you can't you can't have it both ways. That's right. And, and by the way, uh, God does judge because he hates evil. He hates sin. And we we weren't, this world wasn't meant to be the way it is today, and it's certainly not getting better. And we have to remember, I mean, we just, you know, celebrated the resurrection and Easter and Jesus' sacrifice for us. God doesn't send anyone to hell. It's whosoever will can come, whoever believes. So let's, let's make sure we get that straight and don't use that language. And people say, why would a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. He provided the answer, and, and people send themselves, and we can talk about that another time, Jay. But we've got a couple more topics here, just two. Let's try to talk about the Flood and the Ice Age connection. Sure, this is huge. Uh, really, really, really quick. It's fascinating. Second Peter chapter 3, written about 2,000 years ago, Peter's talking about the last days, and specifically about those in the last days that are doubting the return of Christ. And he says they're doubting the return of Christ, because they reject the creation account and the flood. Those are phenomenally important. They re- by rejecting the creation account, they're rejecting God as the ultimate authority. They don't want to be under his authority. By rejecting the flood, they're rejecting his judgment on sin. They don't feel that they're sinners. They're good people. So by rejecting that, that's why they reject the return of Christ, because the return of Christ is going to be another judgment. It's going to be by fire that time, though. So that's why these things in the Old Testament are so important, including the flood. And the flood is the thing that actually caused the Ice Age. So Christians don't have to reject the Ice Age. Secular geologists will talk about multiple Ice Ages happening over millions of years, but they can't account for them. They don't know what causes an Ice Age because you can't just cool the Earth down and head into an Ice Age because if you cool the Earth down, you cool the oceans down. If you cool the oceans down, you don't get evaporation. If you don't get evaporation, you don't get precipitation. If you don't get precipitation, you don't get snow coming down to make ice sheets. You would actually have to somehow warm up the oceans, but yet cool the land down. How could that happen? Well, enter the flood. The flood would have greatly warmed up the oceans Mm. and volcanoes going off on land spew uh, soot and debris up in the atmosphere, blocking out sunlight, which cools the land down, but you got more evaporation coming off the oceans because they're warmed up. It comes down as snow and it keeps coming down and builds up these ice sheets until everything is settling down, the debris settles out, the sunlight is coming through, and eventually it melts the ice sheets back to where they are today. Hmm. So the Bible actually is the only thing that can explain an ice age. It would have lasted starting just after the flood, it lasted maybe 700 years based on calculations of how long would it take for the oceans to cool back down. And people were living during the Ice Age, but if you were around the equator, you'd have no clue there was an Ice Age. Interesting. But if you were living up in Sweden, then you'd, you'd be closer to the, the where the ice was, and people did live in those areas. Uh, so there was an Ice Age. It fits in right after the flood, and the flood is the only thing that could account for it. Oh, my goodness. This is so good, Jay, and so, such necessary information and it's really going to help encourage people in their faith and their knowledge of Scripture. And we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says grow. That's 2 Peter 3.18. Um, one more we have time to get into, a couple more minutes. And by the way, friends, please, I can't mention this enough. I strongly encourage you to get a copy of this book, Creation to Christ, and one for your pastor. Um, strange dietary practices. It's the last thing that we can touch on today, and there's so much more in an almost 350-page book. But, Jay, I heard you in one of the conferences uh, you spoke at a couple years ago talk a little bit about this. It is really fascinating, and God knew what he was doing, so share your your little bit of thought on that. Yeah, who, who would expect that, that God is pretty sharp? <laughs> <Yeah>. um, the, <laughs> 
Yeah, a lot of the dietary things, they do seem strange, kind of coming out of left field, but all scripture is inspired and it's all profitable. It's all there for something. And again, you got to look at the context. The context of most of these dietary laws come from when the Israelites, they had just been released from slavery in Egypt. Now they're wandering in the wilderness. They're camping. They're camping for 40 years. Well, when you go camping, you got to be very careful about what you're eating and how you're cooking it. They didn't have microwave ovens to take care of a lot of stuff. There were a lot of disease issues going on. So they were taught, you know, you don't eat the reptiles and the amphibians. Well, we know today you can get salmonella very easily. 74,000 people every year get salmonella from reptiles and amphibians. Well, Leviticus says, don't eat the reptiles or the amphibians. It says even if a reptile or amphibian falls into one of your cooking pots, don't just rinse it out and use it. No, smash it because you can't use it because we know today that the bacteria and the germs will actually stay there in the clay and it can taint your food. So God is protecting them while they're in the wilderness wandering for all these years, including um, Moses talked about touching a dead animal. Today we know about bacteria and germ theory. You don't want to touch a dead animal. You could get very sick from that. You could maybe even die. Well, Moses said anyone who touches a dead animal of anyone who's going to be unclean for seven days, he's got to wash himself in the water of purification on the third and the seventh day, and then he'll be clean. Hmm. Okay, well, what's the water of purification? Well, Moses tells us that a few verses earlier. This is all from Numbers chapter 19. He says the priest is to take some cedar wood, hyssop, scarlet wool, and throw them on the burning ashes of a heifer or cow. It sounds really bizarre, <laughs> but modern scientists have looked at that in the cedar wood and the ashes combined to make something we call lye, L-Y-E. That's a caustic soda. That's soap. You touch a dead body, washing with soap would be good. The hyssop plant converts into thiamol, which is isopropyl alcohol. It kills bacteria. Touch a dead animal, killing bacteria would come in handy. Wow. The scarlet wool forms a gritty substance like an SOS pad or orange goop that has pumice in it. It's abrasive. It helps clean it out and then applying it on the third and the seventh day. Bacteria grow well in a damp environment, so you want to wait a few days for it to dry out. Then you apply this. Wait a few more days to dry out. You apply it a second time, you're considered clean. Modern scientists say that is a great natural remedy if you don't have antibiotics that we create today. Wow. And there's so much more, friends, but that's just just a, a rundown of just a little bit of the basics that God knew what he was doing with these, what we consider strange dietary practices and uh, saved a lot of people's lives. And a lot of the stuff we get from the Bible, we put into our modern health and, and uh, the things that we use to uh, try to you know keep us healthy and our immune systems and everything else. That's for another topic. But Jay, uh, starting the startingpointproject.com, the book Creation to Christ. Thank you so much for coming on, and I, I really hope uh, people will jump on this opportunity to get it at, at such a great price. So, brother, thank you for all the work that you do, and God bless your ministry. Welcome. It's always a pleasure being on the show. All right, thanks, Jay. Jay Seeger, the startingpointproject.com. Um, I want to mention tomorrow. Wednesday and Thursday is our Q Drive, our biannual fundraiser. This is obviously the spring fundraiser where we, we appreciate your prayers, by the way. <laughs> Lots of spiritual warfare, but we thank you for those that are able to give and donate to this ministry financially as well. Uh, we The next three days, we will not have a live podcast. We'll be talking about, obviously, the ministry and fundraising. My pastor will be on tomorrow morning on Stand Up For The Truth. During this fundraiser, we'll be doing a little bit of fundraising and talking about some relevant issues and uh, theology, I'm sure. And then on Fridays, the first time we'll have a guest again, Dr. David Geisler, Norm Geisler's son. And I can't wait to speak with him. And he's got a, a book and a project, a documentary about his father. But guys, thank you again. God bless you. We'll see you and talk to you tomorrow. As always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.